Hello, I'm Dr. Jonathan Barker, pastor here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I would like to personally thank you for taking out time today to tune in to our preaching podcast. We hope that this message will be a great encouragement to your heart today. Joshua chapter number one. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, a minister, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Father, I love you tonight. I pray that you'd help us. Lord, as we look here in the book of Joshua about crossing over Jordan and entering into Canaan's land, Father, as we deal with the victorious Christian life tonight, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Father, use us and touch us. Father, Lord, may we learn from your word, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. The book of Joshua in Canaan's land, uh, you've heard me say this many times, is dealing with... Uh, with a victorious Christian life. Now, a lot of people, and um, I've heard it preached this way, and I'm not being ugly, but uh, uh, Canaan's land uh, in the Word of God is not a picture of heaven. Um, If it's a picture of heaven, then we're in trouble tonight. And you say, why do you say that, preacher? Because there was death in Canaan's land, amen? There was fighting in Canaan's land. There was war in Canaan's land. There was disagreements in Canaan's land. We know according to the word of God, none of that is in heaven. Amen. There's no death. There's no sorrow. There's no battling. Man, it's eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal happiness. Amen. In Canaan's land. But Joshua is dealing with entering into Canaan's land and living the victorious Christian life. Now, I want you to listen to a verse of Scripture tonight, and if you want to go with me, you can. Uh, The book of Ephesians says this in chapter number 2, verse number 5. Well, let me back up to verse number 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love uh, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin... uh, hath quickened us uh, together with Christ by grace you are saved. Now watch this verse. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places uh, in Christ Jesus. He didn't say that we was sitting together in heaven. He said that he hath raised us up since we have been saved uh, to sit together in heavenly places uh, in Christ Jesus. Now because of Christ we can experience heavenly places while here on earth. We can experience, in other words, a victorious Christian life while we're here on earth. Can I say something to you tonight? God never intended for us to live a life of a life of discouragement God never intended for us to live a life of depression. God never lived uh, intended for us to live a life uh, of despondency. But God intended for us uh, to live a victorious Christian life. 
You know, uh, I see some people that calls themselves Christians, uh, and if being a Christian is what they are, I'm not interested. Now, I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about, man, they live with the molly grubs all the time. They've always got a chip on their shoulder. They're always down in the dumps. Somebody's always done them wrong. Uh, Leslie and I was talking the other day about this. And, and can I say something? That is not what God intended for us. God intended for us to live in victory. God intended for us uh, to walk in victory. God intended for us to live a victorious Christian life. Canaan was the goal to which God was leading his people. When he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he pledged himself not only to deliver the Israels from the bondage of Egypt, but also to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to what he said in Exodus chapter number 3. Verse number 7 and 8 says this, And the Lord said... I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmakers. For I know their sorrow and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He said, I am come to deliver them. And then he goes on to say, and to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, God saw us in our bondage in Egypt's land. Egypt is a type of the world. It is a type of bondage. It is a type of being tied down by the sin of this world. God saw us in that. And God did not want us to live that life. But God, through his son, amen, delivered us from that so that we can live a victorious Christian life. God delivering them from Egypt was only the beginning of what he had in store for their life. Can I say something to you tonight? God saving you from your sin and God saving you from hell was only the beginning of what he has for your life. It was only the beginning. I want to say this to you, and I understand what we're saying. A lot of times we say, the greatest day of my life was the day that I got saved. And I understand that. Boy, that was a great day. Can I get an amen right there? But can I say something to you? The greatest day of mine and Leslie's marriage was not the day we got married. I got a little bit quiet. It was not the day that was a great day. But Miss Linda, you know what? Over the past 23 years, uh, we've had some better days because we got to know each other better. We got to know each other's personality. Some of you that's been sitting here tonight, some of you sitting here tonight that's been saved for years and years or, or been married for decades and decades, I believe that you would say uh, that some of the recent days could have quite possibly been some of the greatest days of your marriage. Hey, look, God saved us, but that's not all he had for us, man. Can I say something to you tonight? I'm enjoying the journey, God, uh, is helping us along the way. He just didn't save us. He had something so much more in store for us. Yes, it was to save us, but he has more for you. He has more in store for you. 
I began to read this and I began to think about this. So many Christians never reach Canaan's land in their spiritual life. Most Christians is content with the wilderness experience. You said, preacher, what do you mean? They come out of Egypt into the wilderness. God met their need in the wilderness. You remember that, don't you? God gave them something to need in the wilderness. God, hey, look, God allowed their clothes to grow. Study me out. Their, their shoes, Brother Stan, grew. Forty years they was there. And God met every need that they had. He sent them food to eat. He gave them water to drink. He met every need that they had. But hear me, there was so much more that they could have been enjoying. They could have been enjoying milk and honey in Canaan's land, but instead they was eating bread and water in the middle of the wilderness. So many people get saved, and after they get saved, they're just content with bread and water in the wilderness. But God has more than that for you. God has milk. God has honey. God has, well, amen, a victorious Christian life for you. You do not have to be satisfied in the wilderness. I thought about this. A lot of people's justified but not enjoying the possessions of all their inheritance in Christ. When you study this out, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones of their generation which left Egypt and succeeded in entering into Canaan's land. This is so true of many churches today in spite of Calvary, in spite of an empty tomb and an ascended Lord, in spite of the, of the day of Pentecost, the majority of Christians perish in indulgence, worldliness, and sin. They never get to Canaan's land. They never get to Canaan's land. I thought about this when we think about Canaan. It was inhabited by a strong enemy. Now, I'm headed somewhere. Stay with me. It was inhabited by a strong enemy. Seven nations held the land of Canaan with strongholds and chariots of iron. The same is true in our life today. It, when we think about living in Canaan's land, when we think about living the victorious Christian life, hear me and hear me well, there is still battles along this way. You remember the book of Ephesians chapter number 6, don't you? What did he say? He said, take unto you the whole armor of God. Why did he instruct us to have the armor of God? It's because there is battles along the way. There is battles. But can I say this? They're worth fighting. Amen. They're worth fighting. I thought about this as I continued studying this. Full blessings in the Christian life is not bestowed except to the eager to the hungry people who decide, let come what may, I'm going to press on and live the victorious Christian life. From the first verse of chapter 1, here in Joshua chapter number 1, we learn, listen to this, that it is impossible for the law to lead us to Canaan's land. Let me explain. I'm not talking about the police. I'm talking about the law of Moses. I'm talking about what Moses wrote. Can I tell you something? Moses never led them to Canaan's land. The law will never get you to Canaan's land. Oh, are you hearing the preacher tonight? You want me to tell you the reason why you can't keep the law and I can't keep the law. We cannot live a sinless life. Here in chapter number one, we see in the very first verse that it was impossible for the law to lead us into Canaan. The law could never inherit 
God's promises, not because there was any defect in the law, but the law could not inherit the promises of God because of human infirmity and human sin. We could not keep the law. As I began to think about it, Romans chapter number 7, Paul acknowledges the law of God is just and holy, but also acknowledges the existence of another law in his members warring against his flesh. Let me read you something right here. Romans chapter number 7. If, if you want to turn with me, you can. Romans chapter number 7. He begins in verse number 15 with verses that sometimes we think are confusing but are not. He says this, For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that do I not, but what I hate that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that is, it is good. Now then it is no more I that doeth, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in my flesh, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that, that I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know what he's saying? Can I interpret that to you in low gap terms? He's saying this, I know what I'm supposed to do and I don't do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do and that's what I do. That's what he says. And then he goes on to verse number 21 and he says this, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Who is that? That is the saved man. That is, once that we're saved, the Holy Spirit moves into our life. The inward man, the inward man is that of God. And he said, after the inward man, I do delight after the law of God. But note what he says in verse number 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through, watch this, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with, so then with a mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh the law of sin. He shows us these two different laws, the law of the flesh and the law of the mind. And he's saying this within myself, I want to do the things of the world, but with God living in me now, I want to do the things of God. The presence of the evil law in us makes it impossible to fulfill God's law and to enter into his full blessings. But that's in our flesh. That's in our flesh. But note something. The entrance into Canaan land in verse number 2 is entrusted to a representative. The whole entrance into going into Canaan's land, I hope you'll stay with me right here. I seen this study, and Brother Ted, I'm telling you, I had a fit. Every bit of this entrance into Canaan's land is entrusted to a representative. Look what the Bible said. 
Verse number two, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan. Who is he talking to? He is talking to Joshua. God repeatedly addressed Joshua and bestowed on him what was indeed or intended for the people to do. You see, according to the law, they would have never made it into Canaan's land. Moses never got them there. And hear me and hear me well. Our flesh will never get us there. We cannot keep the law. Oh, but aren't you glad that God entrusted the entrance into Canaan's land to one individual? He didn't entrust it to a multitude, but he entrusted it to one. Who was that one? That one was... Was Joshua. He entrusted Joshua to lead the people into Canaan's land. If you've not got on board yet, Joshua is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in ourself, we'll never make it to Canaan's land. We'll be content living in a wilderness. But I sure am glad that God has given us of the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And because of that and because of him, we can now enter into Canaan's land. We can now enter into a victorious Christian life. We can now put ourselves to the side because we cannot keep the law and we can allow him and his work to take us into a victorious Christian life. I want to say something to you tonight. You say, preacher, I'm trying my best to enter into Canaan. You'll never do it trying your best. You'll never do it trying your best. You, you have not the knowledge to do it by yourself. What did he do for those people to enter in? He gave them a leader to take them into Canaan's land. The day I got saved, I sure am glad that the Holy Spirit moved in my life and God gave me a leader to take me into Canaan's land. Joshua was given a threefold command to cross over Jordan in verse number two, to conquer the land in verse number three, and to claim the inheritance in verse number six. The book of Joshua records the fulfillment of these, three, these threefold command. The first in chapters two through five, the second in chapters six through 12, and the third in chapters 13 through 23. Notice in verse number four, the whole land was given to the people. However, watch this, they could only possess the portion which they claimed. Look again in verse number four. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, under the river, the river, uh, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to come or stand before you thee all these days of the uh, of thy life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And as you begin to read down through the rest of this, you'll find the only way they could claim that land, and the only way they could possess that land was by going to it and claiming it. We can stand back and say, you remember the story, you can go back to Genesis chapter number 15, you can go back to Exodus chapter number 3, and God promised them that land. But the only, hear me, the only way they could possess the land is if they went there and claimed it. 
Are you hearing me? God has promised us a life of victory. God has promised that to us, but it's up to us to claim it. I read this statement. Divine sovereignty is not a substitute for human responsibility. Can I say that to you again? That's real deep when you think about it. Divine sovereignty is not a substitute for human responsibility. In other words, God said, here is a victorious Christian life. But in order for you to enjoy that, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some work. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to learn to read your Bible on a daily basis. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to learn how to pray. You know what you're going to have to do? You have to be faithful to the house of God. Oh, yes, there's going to be some battles, but I'll give you the victory over those battles if you'll stay with me. I'll allow you to live a life of victory if you'll do what I tell you to do. God promised them the land. Look, they didn't have to spend 40 years in the wilderness. They chose to. You do not have to live in the wilderness you choose to. You do not have to live a life of separation from fellowship with the Father. You choose to do that. God has given... I wish y'all would get what I was preaching to you tonight. God has given us the means to enter in to a victorious Christian life. And it's through Him. I thought about this. If we're going to live a victorious Christian life, here's three things. If we're going to live... Victoria, and I'm going to give them to you and I'm going to be done. Here's three things that we're going to have to learn to do. The children of Israel had to do this. Number one, there had to be surrender. There had to be, you say, well, preacher, I thought you said they was battling. They had to learn to surrender. You said, preacher, what do you mean by that? Well, I guarantee you, there's not a doubt in my mind if we could rewind times and we could stand with Joshua the day that he tells the people that it was time to cross over the Jordan, here's the way we're going to do it. I guarantee you if we could stand with Joshua when he stood outside of Jericho and said we're going to march around the city six days and on the seventh day we're going to march around it seven times and we're going to blow the trumpets and we're going to watch God crash the walls into this place and we're going to overtake Jericho. I guarantee you there was somebody in the crowd that raised their hand and said, I think we ought to do it like this. Why don't we just make it seven times the first day and get to drinking milk and eating honey? Are you with me? I guarantee you there was somebody out of the close to three million people that was there that had a different ideal than Joshua. But God had set up Joshua as the leader. And if the people was going to enjoy the blessings of Canaan's land, they was going to have to surrender their self to the leadership of somebody else. I've said this many times, the verses in Galatians. Matter of fact, me and Leslie, Miss Tim and Miss Mitzi was talking just a few minutes ago before church. And I've said this, I know a lot over the past few weeks, but man, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God has wore me out out of Galatians over the past month. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Submitting ourself to Him. There had to be a time of surrendering. Surrendering. It's all yours, Lord. 
It's all yours. You know what? Isaiah, Isaiah, and I know I've made reference to this, but in chapter number 5, when you study Isaiah, and I, and I doubt I can pull the verses out real quick. I may can. But in Isaiah, um, Isaiah's before Jeremiah, isn't it? In Isaiah chapter number 5, let me see if I can read you a little bit of it right here. Isaiah chapter number 5. He comes down and, and, and Isaiah numerous times in Isaiah chapter number 5. Isaiah chapter number 5 verse number 8 says this, Woe unto them. Isaiah chapter number 5 verse number 11 says, Woe unto them. Isaiah chapter 5 again, he says, Woe unto them in verse number 18. Verse number 20, Woe unto them. Verse number 22, Woe unto them. Isaiah is full of woes unto them. Over and over Isaiah says, Woe unto unto them. But in chapter number 6, listen to what he says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one of them had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he goes on to say in verse number four, and the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. You see all the way through chapter number five, Isaiah saying woe unto everybody else. But when Isaiah gets a glimpse of God, Isaiah says woe is me, not woe is everybody else. You see, when you're in the process of woeing everybody else, the problem is this, you're not looking at your own self. And when you look at God, you'll find yourself going woe is me instead of woe is everybody else. Those people that day to enter into Canaan's land had to come a time in their life where they surrendered to the will of Joshua. And I want to say something to you tonight, church. If we're going to possess Canaan's land in our personal life, we'll have to learn to surrender to someone else. You know, it, it's, it's uh, amazing that the path to freedom is surrendering it sounds like it contradicts itself. But we surrender to him. Not only is there surrender if we're going to live the victorious Christian life. Number two, I would say this, there's submission. There is submission if we're going to enter into Canaan's land. You say, well, preacher, we just surrendered. Then comes submission. Um, I, I was talking to Leslie this week and the girls and I, I said, uh, you want to move to such and such state? I called a state about 15 hours away from here. No. Leslie said, well, what if the Lord? I said, he ain't. I chimed in at that point. I mean, she needed to get on the same page as the rest of us, okay? And boy, I know more than said he ain't. The Lord said, what if I do? And I said, but some things my daddy said we don't need to pray about. <laughs> we went, surrender. I said this this morning, and I'll say it again tonight. 
I, and I've come to love this statement that Miss Tina sent me this week. It said, a lot of times, and I'm not quoting it verbatim, but a lot of times when we pray for God's will or to hear God's voice, we've already made up our mind what he's going to say, so we really don't hear his voice. I'll tell you something about the voice of God. It's not loud. It's just a still, small voice. And, and in entering Canaan's land, we not only surrender, then we've got to be submissive because sometimes when we surrender, he says do things that we're really not interested in doing. It's quiet tonight, but I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Man, 15 years ago, Leslie and I was living a wonderful life. God was blessing us where we was at. I, we was running around 60 or 70 in our bus church and youth church on Sunday mornings. We had a comfortable salary as assistant pastor at Northwood. Man, it was great. Lived in a beautiful home that was paid for. I, we had a wonderful life. And I'll never forget one Saturday night after I got done cooking. Um, I'd been cooking chicken all night, Friday night, and the biggest part of the day, Saturday. Daddy called me and he said, you want to preach in the morning? I said, i got prayer obligations. I said, i got to preach here at the church. And he said, no, he said, uh, there's a church up, up next to Low Gap that needs you to come preach for them in the morning. And I said, well, if I need to, I said, where is it at? And he said, it's Amazing Grace Baptist Church. You remember when I, you as a boy, I used to preach up there all the time. He said it was a dirt road and, and uh, there was three rows of pews in here back then, Brother Robert. And a couple of us still has some of those old pews. One of them's in my house. But anyway, I said, well, I don't know. I said, let me see if I can get everything worked out. And he said, well, a guy named Robert Potts is going to call you. And I said, well, who's Robert Potts? He said, he's going to call you and ask you about coming to preach. And I said, okay. So he called me and I said, look, I'll have to see if I can get everything worked out here. I, I taught Sunday school, drove a bus, I had bus church. And I said, if I can get everything worked out, I, I'll, I'll see if I can. So I called the pastor and I told the pastor, Brother Wishon was my pastor. I said, listen, I've got this base, this base, and this base covered. Everything is covered. There's a church up next to Low Gap needs me to come preach for them. He said, that ain't no problem at all. As long as you got your bases covered, then go preach. That's what God called you to do. And that's what I told Brother Heath yesterday when he called me about preaching for Brother Danley today. I said, man, get your bases covered. I need you to make sure that's taken care of. And if you and Miss Morgan can make sure your bases are covered, go preach. That's what God called you to do. I come up here and I preached that morning and there was just a handful of people here. And I preached on the ministry in Mara. That's what I preached on out of the book of Exodus, chapter number 15. And I'll never forget, we started, and I don't remember much, I really don't, but we started back out the driveway that day. And we had talked to Brother Scotty and Miss Tiffany. They sat with Brother Randy and Miss Dawn sitting at now. And we had talked to them a little bit, Brother Robert and Miss Christie, and I'm sure Ganny and Miss Gloria was here. We talked to the few that was here. And we started back out, and we was one of the last ones leaving. We drove down this uh, furthest driveway right here and turned left and started out and Leslie said huh, be something when you brother Easter was real sick said be or I learned it through that morning and everything she said huh be something about the time we started around the curve she said be something the Lord was to place us up here pastor in that church one day and we bought that house right there and just moved up here wasn't it I said, everything's fine where we're at. 
I'll never forget. I said, everything's fine where we're at. I went back to our church that Sunday night, and man, there was, I don't know, 250, 275 people there. We fell right back in. It was just a week ago, and Brother Robert said, uh, hey, can you come preach for us? I said, well, I don't know, and to make a long story short, here I am. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the night that Brother Robert called me and told me that they had voted me in as pastor. It was a Wednesday night. And he was talking to me, and I was on a bus in South Dakota with about 45 teenagers. And he said, huh, you know what's interesting? I said, what? He said, I'm driving by this house out here, and there's a woman out here with a nail and a hammer driving up for sale sign on this light pole. And we voted you in as pastor, by the way. Boy, my mind went back to what Miss Leslie said. Don't y'all say that she's the most spiritual one in our family. My mind went back. Somebody said she is. I agree. I agree 99.999% of the time before I ever even get out of the bed. When I wake up, the light's on up here, and she's up here praying for this church before I ever get out of the bed usually. I'll never forget. I looked at Daddy, and I said, well, I guess I'm a pastor. He said, boy, that church will never be any more spiritual than you are. That church will never be any greater of a Christian than you are. And boy, he just preached to me for about 20 minutes going up a road in that old greyhound. But I said all that to say this. I was content with where I was at. I was surrendered. I told God, we say, we say, do you care to come start playing softly? We say, Lord, I'll do this. Lord, I'll do that. We surrender but when it really comes time to submission, when it really comes time to submitting to him, you know what? The only way they could say, hey, Joshua, hey, Joshua, we're going to do what you say do. But the day come that the Jordan parted and they had to walk across it. At that moment, they had to prove their surrender with submission. The day come when they had to march around Jericho. And sometimes God will tell you to do some foolish things in this world's eyes. They had surrendered to his voice, but it was time then for them to prove their submission to him. I'll ask you a question now. Are you submitted to him? When you pray, I got one more point. I'm going to give it to you in just a second. When you pray, have you already figured out the voice of God? Or is your will the voice of God? Can I say that again? When you pray, have you already figured out the voice of God? Because your will is the voice of God. Anybody ever been talking to you? You chose not to listen. Every once in a while, Leslie will go, Are you even listening to me? Why, yeah. What did I say? I was the best husband you've ever had. Never wanted to trade me in. I was good looking. No, you ain't listened to a blooming thing I've said to you. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if God looks at us and goes, Are you even listening to me? You say you're submitted, 
But why are you not submitting to what I've told you to do? Maybe God has said to some man, preach. We say, Lord, I'm submitted to you. I'm surrendered to you, I mean. Lord, here am I. I'll preach and maybe God's going preach. But you're not submitting to him. Maybe God has told you something else in whatever realm of life you may be dealing with, but our mind is so set that we never truly hear the voice of God. They had to submit. Submitting is turning ourselves over to somebody else. Submitting is walking away from everything that we want and allowing God to have what He wants. There was a surrender. There was a submission. But then watch this. There was success. They entered Canaan's land. They made it to a land flowing with milk and honey. Caleb was 80 years old, and what did he say? Anybody remember what Caleb said at 80? Give me the mountain. He said, give me the mountain. Matter of fact, it said six or seven times, about Caleb and Joshua, they wholeheartedly followed the Lord. They just didn't surrender, but they submitted. And because they submitted, you know what happened? They were successful. You remember the story of Moses, don't you? Moses was supposed to take them into Canaan's land. He was the one God raised up, Genesis or Exodus chapter number three, to lead them into Canaan's land. You remember that, don't you? But he didn't make it. Moses saw Canaan. What is thought on something right there? Moses got a glimpse into it, but Moses never entered it. And the reason Moses never entered it is because he smote that rock twice. God told him to do it one time. He done it twice. He was surrendered to the Lord, but he wasn't submissive to God. Because if he had been submissive to God, he'd have never smote it the second time. And because he was not submissive, he got to from a distance view what everybody else was fixing to enjoy. If you don't learn to submit to God, all you'll do is stand at a distance and view what everybody else is getting to enjoy. You ever looked at somebody and thought, I just don't understand how they can be that happy. Man, they're going through everything. I just don't understand how they can be that happy. You want me to tell you the reason they can? Because they've submitted and they've understood that there is battles in Canaan. But the only way that they're going to make it through those battles is following the leader that God placed to lead them into Canaan. That was Joshua. The only way we're going to make it is by following the leader. I feel like preaching another hour. Is by following the leader that God has placed in our life, the, the Lord, God, the Holy Ghost, and submitting ourselves to Him. And when we do that, I promise you we will be successful in living a victorious Christian.